Well, good morning, Grace Chapel, Lexington, Wilmington, Watertown, East Lexington, Courtyard, GC at night, and folks online. <laughs> Glad we can all be together on this Sunday after Christmas. Trust you've had a joy-filled, peace-filled uh, season and are having a little bit of time to catch your breath a little bit. If you missed our Christmas Eve services, uh, they are posted online so you can watch them and participate on the website including the Light of the World video that we created for that service. You can watch that and share that with friends. We encourage you to do that. Now, some of you might remember this time last year, I was feeling sorry for myself because our three married kids were off with the in-laws for that Christmas, and it was pretty quiet around our house. Well, this year was the opposite. We had the whole gang together, so that meant 14 of us together, uh, all under one roof for a week or so, and uh, brings to mind the saying, be careful what you wish for, right? <laughs> so... Uh, but truth is, it's been a great, great time and glad to have my folks join us as well for this weekend. We're feeling very, very blessed and a little bit tired. So, well, here we are on one of the strangest Sundays of the year and one of the strangest weeks of the year. And I'm talking, of course, about that week between Christmas and New Year. This time between the time when time seems to slow down and almost stand still a little bit. For weeks now, we've been living life at a frantic pace, getting ready for the holiday, wrapping things up before the end of the year, and suddenly it all comes to a screeching halt, and we try to catch our breath, and we realize how tired we all are. It's a week in which we find ourselves looking backward and looking forward, looking back on the year 2014 and off to the year to come. So looking back, what will 2014 be remembered for? Uh, Quite a few dark stories to tell. Ebola, ISIS, Ferguson, domestic violence in the NFL, Malaysian Airways Flight 370, data breaches, a resurgent Russia, the death of comedian Robin Williams. But there were some bright moments too. Remember the Sochi Winter Olympic Games? That was this year, seems like a long time ago. World Cup soccer, uh, the, finally the dedication of one World Trade Center in uh, lower Manhattan, the ice bucket challenge, a little <laughs> bright spot in American culture, and millions of wannabe snow queens singing, let it go. <laughs> so we look to the future and we wonder what 2015 will hold. What will the stock market do? Who will the front runners be for president this time next year? Are we excited about 2015 or afraid? Do we like who we're becoming as individuals, as families, as a church, as a nation? Are our best days behind us or in front of us? These are the questions I'd like to shine a little light on this morning. Well, not a little light. Actually, I'd like to shine a lot of light on it in keeping with our Advent theme, Let There Be Light. I'd like to take you to the final scene of the Christmas story, the second half of Luke chapter 2, a text we don't often look at. It's a text in which we meet a, meet a couple of interesting characters who make some unexpected appearances and have some remarkable things to say and see. So let's go to that text together. It's in Luke chapter 2, 2140. But instead of just uh, reading it, I'd like you just to kind of hear it uh, as, uh, as the Gospels were meant to be experienced. Really, they were meant to be heard, not so much read. 
on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was given the name Jesus, the name the angel had given him before the child was conceived. And when the time came for purification as required by the law, Joseph and Mary took the child with them to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now there was in Jerusalem a man named Simeon. He was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Spirit of God was upon him. It had been revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen God's Messiah. Moved by the Holy Spirit that day, he went into the temple courts. As the parents brought their child in to fulfill what was required by the law, Simeon took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about the child. Then Simeon blessed them and spoke to Mary, his mother, and said, This child is destined to cause the rising and falling of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the hearts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also in Jerusalem a, a prophet named Anna, daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband for seven years after they were married and then was a widow until she was 84 years old. She never left the temple, but worshipped there day and night, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that moment, she gave thanks for the child and spoke about him to all who were looking for their redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had fulfilled all the things required by the law, they returned to Galilee and to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong and was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. This is God's word. And so we have this interesting story tucked into the Christmas narrative by the writer Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Let's take a few minutes and try to understand what was happening here, who these characters were, and what it meant at the moment. And then we'll try to draw some observations for our own lives and times as well. So we find these new parents, Joseph and, Ma and, and Mary, honoring tradition and the law by bringing their child for public ceremonies of thanksgiving and celebration. The first was a naming ceremony. And the second was a purification ceremony, generally about 40 days after the birth of the child. And the scene described here takes place after that second celebration. And it would have been uh, uh, an occasion much like a christening today or a baby dedication in our tradition. Uh, the, the extended family would likely have come for the occasion. Friends would join as well, people who have a special interest in that child. There'd be a lot of smiles and handshakes and pats on the back and isn't he or she cute and... No photo ops, but that kind of thing back in the first century. That's very much the mood of the day. And suddenly, two odd people make these unexpected appearances. The first is Simeon. Now, we don't know a lot about his life. We know something about his character. We're told that he was righteous, meaning that he was a good man. 
good relationships, good behavior. And we learn that he was devout, meaning he was a godly man who took seriously his relationship with God and was committed to prayer and worship and fasting. We also get the sense that he's an older man. Twice the text suggests that his death is, is imminent. We also learn that he's been waiting for the consolation of Israel. In other words, he's waiting for Messiah, waiting for the glory days of Israel. Now, of course, the whole nation was waiting for Messiah. And some Jews were trying to bring the Messiah to, to hasten his coming through acts of violence and revolt and dissension. Simeon was one of those Jews who tried to hasten the Messiah's, Messiah's arrival through acts of piety, prayer, and worship, and devotion. Somewhere along the way, Simeon had received a promise in his spirit that he would not die until he had personally laid eyes on God's Messiah. The second character is Anna. We know a little bit more of her backstory. She too was old, 84 years old at least, and maybe older, depending on how you interpret the text. She had been married once a long time ago, but then had lived for decades as, as an unmarried woman, which was very unusual at that time. And all those years, she devoted herself entirely to ministry in the temple, apparently ministries of prayer and preaching. Now, it's doubtful that Anna actually lived at the temple. People didn't do that sort of thing. It's probably Luke's colloquial way of saying, when the doors were open, Anna was there. And there's folks like that in every church, right? When the doors are open, they're there. And there are folks like Simeon in every church, right? Kind of eccentric sort of folks who are revered and good and godly. We have these two characters. And then we have the encounter described by Luke. By Luke. So Joseph and Mary probably have just arrived for the ceremony of purification. Friends and family are all gathering around and they're filled with anticipation for the ceremony. And just like parents in a dedication today, they're a little bit anxious and nervous. Will the baby smile? Will she cry and ruin the whole thing? All those nerves are going on. And suddenly, Simeon steps out of the milling crowd and into the spotlight. And he asks to hold the baby Jesus. Now, we know that Mary was a very special person, but I've got to believe that like any new mother, she had doubts about handing her newborn baby over to this stranger. I mean, who was this old man anyway? And why did he want her baby? I kind of imagine Joseph and Mary exchanging looks with one another, as if, what do we do? And then suddenly remembering together that after angels and shepherds and magi, an old man at church is probably a pretty safe bet. <laughs> so she hands the child over. And now we imagine this curious old man holding the child in his creaky, aging arms, looking into that child's face and seeing something. Seeing that same something that, that filled shepherds with joy and, and caused angels to sing and brought magi to their knees, something that stirred the spirit of God within him that he knew he had to speak in that moment. So I imagine the crowd suddenly growing quiet as whispers ripple through the courtyard. It's old man Simeon. He's got the baby. <laughs> Looks like he wants to say something. And with that, the old codger bursts into song. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, now dismiss your servant in peace. 
And he goes on to speak words of promise about the child and the nation of Israel. Tradition calls it the nunc dimittis, which is Latin for those two words, now dismiss. So again, to try to appreciate Simeon, he's one of those quirky characters, part of every community of, of faith or any kind of community, who's kind of always there, but nobody really pays much attention to until suddenly they speak up. And that's what happens here. I've got to believe that when Simeon stepped into that courtyard and opened his mouth to speak, it was as if the very voice of God was falling on the people. And then along comes Anna at that very moment, Scripture says, as if the sound of silence is still hanging heavy in that courtyard. And here this old woman shuffles out of the shadows into the center, comes up to the puzzled couple, peels back the baby blanket, and a smile breaks across her wizened face and her teary eyes light up. And she aloud gives thanks to God and begins speaking with promise about this child. And then, like Simeon, she just disappears into the crowd, leaving the bewildered parents to wonder what to make out of all of this, which is exactly the situation we're in. What do we make out of all this? Why is this story here? Why did Luke, under the inspiration, include these two quirky characters and this extended story of a simple baby dedication? Well, let's think about it a little bit. We have these two aged and anointed characters standing at the very apex of human history. And no matter which direction they look, to the past or to the future or to the present, they see in this child the eternal promises of God being fulfilled. In Simeon's words, this Jesus will be a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. There it is, our theme for the Advent season, light. Simeon sees in Jesus a light so bright it will illumine the whole earth and shine down the corridors of time from the beginning of time to eternity itself. And then Anna confirms that vision by speaking about the, about the redemption of Israel, about the rescue and the restoration of God's people, so that through them, God can rescue and restore all people and the whole earth. Because that's been God's plan from the very beginning. From the very moment he spoke into time and space and said, let there be. God's purpose was to create a universe that would display his glory and to inhabit that universe with a race of people who would bear his image, share his work, and enjoy his company in this world and in worlds to come for all eternity. That's what God's been doing from the very, very beginning. And now, after thousands of years of failure on the part of people, after centuries and centuries of waiting, Simeon and Anna see in Jesus the one through whom those good and eternal purposes will finally be accomplished. So there's a lesson here, a lesson especially meaningful for us as we stand here today between the times, teetering between 2014 and 2015. And the lesson is this, because Christ has come, the past, the present, and the future are bright with the promises of God. Because Christ has come, the past, the present, and the future are bright with the promises of God. Now, we've talked a lot about light in this Advent season, and each week we've talked about it in a different way. We talked about Christ as a distant light that the prophets were looking forward to someday. 
We talked about Christ as an inner light, one who transforms us from the inside out. We talked about the golden hour light, the time of day in which we get a glimpse of what the world will be like when it is everything God intends it to be. On Christmas Eve, we talked about Christ as a penetrating light who drives away even the darkest places. And today, we speak about a bright light. When we describe a light as bright, we're saying there's a lot of light, very intense light. When there's bright light, you can see things that you couldn't see in normal light and certainly not in dim light. When we say a color is bright, we're saying the color is bold and vivid. When we say a person is bright, we mean they are lively and smart and quick-witted. When we say the future is bright, we mean it is brimming with positive possibilities. And so it is. When the bright light of Christ shines on our past, our future, and our present, we see things we wouldn't see otherwise. And what we see most of all is the hand of God at work in our lives, in the church, in the world, for His glory and for our good. So what does that mean for us personally? Well, three things at least. First of all, it means that God can redeem our past. God can redeem our past. Now, someone could easily stand up and say, that sounds very nice, Pastor, but you don't know my past. I've got a past. You, you don't know the scars that I bear from my past. You don't know the mistakes I've made. You don't know the disappointments I've experienced. And it's true, I don't know. But Simeon had a past. I mean, Simeon knows all about disappointment and unfulfilled expectation and unanswered prayer. He's been waiting his whole life for God to answer a prayer, for his ship to come in. And if he's as old as we think he was, Simeon probably lived through the siege of Jerusalem when the Romans came in and took over the city, when they desecrated the temple, when they slaughtered thousands of Jews in the streets. Simeon has seen some dark days and some horrific things. And what about Anna? She's got a past too. Given the young age at which women tended to marry in those days, she may have buried her husband before she was 20 years old and spent the next six decades of her life, at least, living as a single woman in a culture where there were not many single women, having to provide for herself, perhaps raising children by herself. Sixty years waiting that God might bring someone else into her life, but that never happened. Either one of these two could have looked to their past with regret and bitterness and disappointment. Why me, Lord? Why'd you let these things happen? How come it's been so long? But there's none of that with these two. No why me or how come or if onlys. There's just thanks and celebration for what God has been doing and now has done in the arrival of Jesus. So when the light of Christ is shining on your past, you see the sovereign hand of God at work in ways you never would have realized. Simeon begins his prayer, Sovereign Lord. When we say that God is sovereign, we're saying He is in charge of all things. We're saying He can work with all things to accomplish something good. 
Romans 8 promises that. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. doesn't mean that everything that happens is good, but it means that God works with what happens to us to accomplish something good. It doesn't mean that God is the source of evil. It means he can save us from evil. It doesn't mean that God causes heartache, but it does remind us that God can cure heartache. He can use it. He can make it count for something good. God works with your past the way a potter works with a lump of clay, patiently shaping it, smoothing it, removing the impurities, filling in the cracks, shaping it into something unique and beautiful and useful. And when the light of Christ shines on your past, you see his handiwork. So in Christ, your past is bright with the promises of God. Second thing we learn from this story is that in Christ, God can secure your future. He can secure your future. Because I know, someone could stand up and say, hey, enough about the past, Pastor. The past is past. It's said and done. It's the future that's so scary. I mean, no one knows what's going to happen down the road. How can you be making promises about the future? Well, Simeon knew all about an uncertain future. He knew how powerful the Roman military machine was. He knew that the odds of Israel being delivered in his lifetime were slim to none. He wasn't all about pie in the sky. Everything's going to be fine, folks. No. He said, I see the rising and falling of many in Israel. I see conflict and division. I see pain for your heart, Mary. No, the future was not pie in the sky for Simeon. But in the bright light of Christ's coming, he saw through the shadows and saw the hand of God at work in the future, carrying out his good and eternal purposes through all the events yet to come and specifically through the life of Christ. As he holds in his arms Jesus, the baby Jesus, he sees the fulfillment of God's promises. He sees better days to come for his nation and the world. And so as we stand here on the threshold of 2015, we don't know what the next year will bring. We don't know what it will bring to our personal lives in terms of health and finance and relationship. We don't know what the weather will do, what the stock market will do, what the government will do, what North Korea will do. We, we don't know any of these things. No doubt there will be some frightening things in the year to come. But God promises that in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He promises that in Romans 8. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. As Simeon looked to the future, he saw the purposes of God being revealed. And when the light of Christ shines on your future, when you invite him into your experience, you have the assurance that nothing can thwart his good purposes for your life. The same God who can redeem your past can secure your future in this life and in the life to come. And thirdly, because Christ has come, God can do something good with your present. Because I know someone could stand up here and say, enough about the past and the future, Pastor. How about today? Let's get real. Let's get practical. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I'm facing right now. And that's true, I don't. 
But again, let's think about how Simeon and Anna felt that day in the temple courts. They've been waiting a lifetime for God's Messiah, for deliverance to come to Israel. And no doubt they had dreamed about what this day would look like. No doubt they had dreamed about a warrior riding into Jerusalem on a stallion with the armies of Israel behind him. They had dreamed about a strong, godly ruler taking the throne of King David. But here they are on an ordinary day at the temple looking at a peasant couple and a helpless infant. This is the moment they've been waiting for all their lives? This is the one who's going to deliver Israel and change the course of history? You can't blame them for feeling disappointed. But holding that child in their arms, looking full into his face, they recognized that God had ordained this moment from all of eternity. That God had been preparing them all their lives for this very moment, that day in the temple. To, to God had been preparing this couple, Joseph and Mary, for that moment. God had been preparing the whole world, he says, all nations for this very moment. In the sovereignty of God, Simeon and Anna were right where they were supposed to be, doing exactly what they were supposed to be doing on the day they were supposed to be doing it. And in the sovereignty of God, he set in motion his redemptive plan for the nations. And we can be equally sure that God is at work in our present days as well, whatever they might look like. Every one of our days, Scripture says, has been ordained by God. Ordinary days are pregnant with possibilities. Everyday encounters can lead to something eternally significant. We never know on any given day who we might run into what God might ask us to do, what we might see or say or hear or do that could change the course of someone's eternity. What I love about this story is that you have these quirky, unlikely characters used by God in a dramatic way in the twilight years of their lives. This is perhaps their finest moment, but they were ready for it because they'd been living every day as if every day mattered. And when the bright light of Christ shines on your day, on your day timer, on your calendar, on your weekly agenda, on your to-do list, when you shine the light of Christ brightly on your day's plan, you see the hand of God unfolding in your lives, in the lives of people around you. There are no ordinary days. There are no unimportant people. There are no unfruitful seasons of life. If we are available, if we are ready and watching and eyes are open. God is at work in our present days as well. In his second letter to the Corinthians, Paul writes, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Yes in Christ. Don't miss the moment at which this all came together for Simeon and Anna. It was the moment in which they held in their arms or looked into the face of the newborn Jesus and recognized in him the one they had been looking for, waiting for, and seeking. That was the moment they could look back on their past and say, it's all been worth it for this moment. That was the time they could look to the future and say, everything's going to be okay in our, in our nation and for the world. That was the moment they could say, I am glad to be alive today and living in the purposes of God. It was holding that child. And so it is these promises become real and personal for you when you personally receive into your life, when you welcome into your experience the bright light of Christ's presence. 
Now, if you'll indulge me for a moment, this message has some very personal significance for me. I'll tell you why. I've actually preached this sermon once before, long time ago, on the Sunday after Christmas in 1987, nearly 30 years ago. I went rummaging through my files and actually found the sermon, handwritten in pencil on yellow lined paper, 15 pages, just like always. As I read through that sermon, I remembered writing it. I remembered preaching it. And it brought back memories of that particular season in my life and our lives. I was 31 years old at the time. I've been a pastor for all of two and a half years. And they'd been a challenging couple of years. We had two young children and were still trying to get the hang of parenthood. We were trying to adjust to life and the hectic, crazy subculture of Long Island, New York. We didn't have much money. Karen was feeling cooped up at home with some preschoolers and wondering what the rest of her life was going to look like. Pastoring a church was the hardest thing I had ever done. I wasn't sure we were going to survive year three, let alone make it to five or ten. Would we ever be happy here? Would we ever get beyond living paycheck to paycheck? Would we ever get these children raised and through college? We didn't know there were two more coming. <laughs> Those were challenging years. And I remember, even as I preached this message about past, present, and future being bright with the promises of God, I was sure hoping it was true. <laughs> <laughs> and yet we stand today, some three decades later nearly. God has blessed us with four wonderful children who love God and love us, who have married wonderful, godly people, brought into our lives and the world some beautiful, promising children. And in a few months, we'll make our last tuition payment. <laughs> we not only made it through year three on Long Island, but to five and 10 and 15 and 16. Wonderful, rich years of life and of ministry. As I look back, I realize that God was not only blessing those years in the moment, He was also using those years to prepare us for 15 and counting more wonderful years in life and ministry here at Grace Chapel and in greater Boston. A few nights ago, I stood here on the platform for the final night of our Christmas Eve service, and I realized in that moment it was my 30th Christmas Eve service as a pastor. Back then, I couldn't have imagined ever making it to 30 years as a pastor. And now I wouldn't trade those years for anything. And looking back over those years, I see God's sovereign hand and His purposes unfolding. Now, they weren't all easy years. Some of them I don't want to live again. <laughs> there were tough moments. There were financial challenges and anxieties over kids and health issues and marital stresses and ministry blunders and losses and transitions and all the kinds of things that life is made of. There were a lot of very ordinary and mundane years and days as well. But here we are, marking 30 years in pastoral ministry. And God has done more than I could ever have asked or imagined in my life, both on the personal side and on the ministry side. 
Now, I realize not everyone has a story like that. I understand that. Simeon and Anna certainly didn't have a story like that. But they were able to look at their lives and see and thank the sovereign hand of God. And I trust you are able to do that today as well. Now, none of us knows what next year and years hold for us. I can tell you that I am as excited about the future of Grace Chapel as I ever have been. In fact, next Sunday, we're beginning a new teaching series we're calling Next. As we think about, together, the next couple of years of ministry here at Grace and learn what it means to be people of, of great and grand generosity with all that God has given to us. And as for the present, I'll say what I've said here many, many times. There's nothing in the world I would rather be doing right now than serving God and you in this church with you uh, and serving Greater Boston as well. So as Pastor Dave taught us last week, God's not done yet. He's not done with any of our lives individually. He's not done with our families. He's not done with our church. He's not done with our nation. And He is not done with this world. And so He invites us to join Him in that creative, redemptive, restorative work of sharing His light and extending His reign in all places to all people with every day and every moment that God gives to us. And so we can honestly say today that because Christ has come, our past, our present, and our future is bright with the promises of God. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for a time and a place to think about these things on this in-between week of our year. We're thankful that we have your word to guide us as we think. Thankful for real characters like Simeon and Anna who process their lives and times just as we do today. We thank you above all that the same Christ who brought joy and hope to their lives in that moment can bring joy and hope and meaning to our lives and our moments today as well. We thank you for all that we have celebrated and experienced in this Advent season, for the richness of it all and the good news of your coming. But we pray, Lord, that you would now set our sights on the future and all the good and wonderful and eternally significant things that you want to do in and through us for your glory, for our joy, and for the blessing of the world. In Jesus' name, amen.